Halloween, everybody! It's Animation Celery. Creepy conversations about cataclysmic cartoons. Oh, but don't be scared because here I come to save the day! Matsy! And I'm Micah. Uh, so, as Matsy said, it's Halloween. And we're gonna watch the hellish movie from 1983 called Rock and Rule! It's going to be some dark future furry nostalgia. <laughs> and <laughs> it's even going to be a nice send off to Rocktober. Um, hmm. But uh, this episode is no exception. First, we do the freakiest stuff of all. We talk about ourselves, the week that was, and so on. Uh, Matsy, what do you want to talk about? You know what I want to talk about. It's week four. Of my oh fantastic horror cartoons. I had to go off with a bang for Halloween, for the big one, the last one. All right. I had to pick out the most horrible cartoon I could think of. So oh everybody God. get ready for the bone chilling horror that is Family Guy. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bit... I was looking at Disney Plus, and I saw new episodes, Family Guy. I mean, I, my reaction was, not Family Guy, new episodes, American Dad. And my reaction, <laughs> my reaction was, really? Still. Yeah, still. The Cleveland show is the only one that didn't make it. Huh. Um, I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that American Dad is slightly better than Family Guy, just because it's, my experience with it, which is limited, is that its writing is a little tighter, whereas oh. Family Guy just doesn't know what it's doing. I see. But, well, well, let's find out. Maybe it well, does. Okay. All right. I did. I did this scientifically. Okay. I figured out how many episodes of Family Guy there are to date and went in the exact middle. Okay. Uh, and I ended up with season 11 Episode 9, which is called Space Cadet. Huh. Yeah. So, immediately, <laughs> instantly, as soon as it started, it got off on the wrong foot with me. Uh-huh. Because instead of the normal Family Guy intro, which, as I understand, if I remember correctly, it's... Um, Archie Bunker starter. It's yeah. kind of a parody of that with Peter and Lois singing a thing. Right. This one was the opening of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, it's, how, it's, how could that be the wrong foot with you? Because I don't want it sullied. Because <laughs> okay. it's like it opens with Michael Palin's It's Man. Coming up to the camera and I'm not and this isn't like new footage like this is like literally like I remember this opening from Monty Python's Flying Circus. It's just that footage. Oh, and then it does the entire Monty Python intro. I looked at the credits. I didn't see Terry Gilliam's name, but okay. the, in all the instances, because Monty Python's it, it, it this particular season, I can't remember if this is season two or three. Um. But it's this machine of like some the, it's cutout animation that Terry Gilliam does um, of like this guy, his body parts being kind of taken apart, not in a gory way, but like paper right. cutout 
pieces being going through. Yeah. But all the characters were family guy characters. Oh. And it and and it's and it has I guess Seth MacFarlane, I'm not sure, doing his best well, his best, although it's not very good. Um John Cleese going Monty Python's family guy. And it ends with a little airplane with a banner that says Monty Python's family guy that gets squished with a foot. Okay. And I was like, you mm, ooh. <laughs> Of all the episodes I could have picked. Must have had okay. their endorsement, I guess. But yeah, okay. I like that's why I looked through the credits. I was like, did Terry oh. Gilliam do this? Because my yeah. like, I think there are actually people in the world. I know there are people in the world with a good sense of humor who like this show. Some even say it's the funniest show on TV. Huh? I uh, it's 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 hmm. baffling. Well, okay, so here, here's what happens. Okay. It opens in school where Chris, the oafish son of the family, right. is giving his report. And, and his report is about his teacher's day, basically about him following her home after work and watching her put on sweatpants and eat a tube of cookie dough and crying before throwing it up again. Okay. Um... Yeah, hooray. It's um, family guy, all right. Yeah. Um, so then Chris gets, well, Chris's parents get called in to the principal's office to explain this situation. Oh, uh, at this point, by the way, cutaway gag number one. Okay. I won't go into all of them, but um, you might get some appreciation that um, in the principal's office, he shows... The principal shows his parents Chris's art project, and it's just Bob from Bob's Burgers. Yeah. And and the parents are like, oh, my God. Uh. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the parents don't know what to do. The principal's suggestion is they have some cats outside that they feed. What if we just uh, put Chris with the cats? That's probably the best thing to do with him. Okay. Um, yeah, back at home, the the parents, I mean, there's a gag about him, Peter, watching Breaking Bad, which is, and Breaking Bad is just a hypnotic screen telling people that Breaking Bad is the best show ever, except maybe The Wire. This okay. goes on for a while. Um, they, they're talking about, Peter and Lois are talking about, oh man, what are we going to do? Uh, Chris is dumb. And it turns out Chris was listening because he wanted to hear them have sex. Heh. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they figure, what are we going to do? Uh, Chris thinks that we think that he's an idiot, mm. which is all of this is accurate. Um, and so they decide, they think, okay, maybe if we send him to some kind of camp, like, um, because they were they had plans to go to Europe, but uh, whatever, Kelly gag, whatever. Anyway, okay. they give Chris some pamphlets and Chris looks through them and is like, eh, like oh, space camp. Mm. This might be good. And the parents are like, um, uh oh, we didn't mean to give him that one, but that's the one he wanted. So, yeah. So they drive down to Florida and uh, drop him off at the 
at NASA for the space camp. Mm-hmm. There's there's some gags about uh, garbage. Well, here's a sensory, depri- <laughs> here's a sensory deprivation chamber. We yeah. keep us. The the important thing here is that they still keep a space shuttle ready for launch just in case, even though the space shuttle program has been decommissioned. Oh, so let's remember that. All right. Yeah. Uh, Chris immediately realizes that he's in over his head. Um, he's he's kind of doing sort of OK, but he's not feeling it. He calls home to get his parents to come pick him up, which they do. Um. And for some reason, before they leave, Chris decides to give him them a tour, I guess. Sure. And the tour includes inside the space shuttle. Uh-oh. Oh, you can't imagine where this might be going. Um, yeah. Stewie, the baby, pushes Whew. the launch. He pushes the launch button. I was worried. Space... I was worried there wouldn't be any Stewie in this episode. Oh, he's uh, everybody's around. Yeah, Don't okay. worry. Yeah. Um, anyway, they blast off into space where they are now stuck. They get a um, they get a radio call from somebody at Mission Control who says that they can probably work this out, but they just needed some time to do some calculations. So the family. Oh, also, the family is famous on TV now. OK. Um, yeah, whatever. This is just so that they can have a gag of their of. A, I, I guess there's some Spanish housekeeper. She might be a recurring character and she takes their house. Um, yeah, this is a laugh riot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a gag where Peter goes out for a spacewalk and it's like, oh, wow, look at the majesty of space. And it's like from his viewpoint as he's looking at, oh, wow, there's the planets and everything. And then he pulls out his phone and checks sports sports scores and watches YouTube instead. I see. Um, an hilarious gag where Meg, who is the family daughter and punching bag, pretty literally, yeah. actually, um, she's in the cargo bay and they decide to play a prank on her by opening it and sucking her out into space. But don't worry. Nice. She's yeah. Apparently she's OK. Um, there's more gags about, uh, Peter, you know, this space food's gone bad. Peter, that's a toilet. That kind of thing. Ah, yeah. Ah, got him. Um, <laughs> I found then, my new role. I'm the Ed McMahon of Family Guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> space toilet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, they get the call from Mission Control. They've figured things out, but then the radio signal starts to break up, and then Peter breaks off the knob, because it's what radio DJs do. Ah. Uh, so now they don't know what to do. But P- but Chris remembers from, uh, Space Camp, oh, if we use the retro rockets, we can slow our, uh, our velocity and get back, back out of orbit so that the autopilot can engage and take us in. Great. So they do that. The ship spirals out of control, however, and it's up to Chris to drag himself back into the um, cockpit or control seat. I guess they're in the cockpit and use his meager training to stabilize things so that the ship can land safely, which it does. And everyone is cheering for them. And, you know, they're all very proud of Chris for what he's done, except that how did our how did our house end up in this neighborhood? And it's like, you know, a Spanish slum. Oh, wow. Yeah. It so, just says what we're all thinking. Yeah, I guess. You, oh boy. So, 
cutaway gags. Okay. I, I actually, this is what kind of Family Guy is known for, where something will happen and it'll be like, this is like the time, or yes. like my grandfather, or whatever. Or no, we'll never get to that kind of thing. Sure. Um, let me do some quick math here. Because I wrote this down, but neglected to add it up. Uh, mm. uh, 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 Episode's about uh, 21 minutes long, I guess. Uh, 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 yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing my math here. It looks like... Three. <laughs> a little over three minutes of this is dedicated to the 15 cutaway gags that happen over the course of this episode. Hmm. And, oh, such bangers as I don't remember the exact context or context, but Peter's saying something about, uh, you know, I think every camp has a funny guy or something. And then it goes to a concentration camp in Nazi Germany where uh. one of the prisoners is like, I don't suppose it would help if I said I had a note from my doctor. Ha ha ha. And the, the German guard is like, ha ha, get in there, you. Um, nah. A okay. gag where uh, Chris is like, oh, they're going to know I'm an idiot. Frauds always get found out. And then it cuts to a Japanese boardroom where they find out that there's a Chinese among them. And it scrolls down the table. And there's all these Asian men in business suits. And then at the end is this one Asian man with gigantic buck teeth and a big bamboo hat and a water buffalo on a rope who says, oh, shame about that Chinese, huh? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah uh. <laughs> okay. Family Guy's Family Guy is such garbage. How has this lasted for what is it? 21 seasons now? 22? Well, I got to confess that I don't watch Family Guy, but I like it better than some things. <laughs> I think Marjorie It Stems uh, show's got a hard time with me if it, I just hate the voice acting style of it. Uh-huh. So, like, like I was saying last week, how a little bit of robot chicken goes a long way and it wears right. thin pretty quickly. And how I don't like South Park because that sort of, uh, 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 what sort of looking for? The... The sort of uh, spirit of, of, of the voices on that show is, is something I find pretty grating. Mm-hmm. I find the voices in Family Guy okay enough that sometimes there's a good laugh in there. But what a slog. <laughs> You're like going yeah. through minutes of offensive. And I mean like offensive by its lack of creativity, <laughs> by how much it's on autopilot. Oh, yeah. Like I remember it was I don't remember the exact um post or tweet or whatever it was, but I think it was talking about Family Guy, or if not, it at least applies to it, which is writers, I think it was talking about cartoon writers not understanding the difference between comedy and reference, where they just, oh, yes, yes. you know, you can just reference something and it's like, that's the joke. We sure did say the lyrics to this song as dialogue. Right. Or, you know, they're in a, in a restaurant and the same thing that happens in a famous TikTok happens. And that's funny. I, I have not watched very much Family Guy because I avoid it like the plague that it is. Mm. And I, I will admit I have laughed at Family Guy exactly once ever. Yeah. And I did laugh pretty hard. Uh, it was a, um, a weather forecast 
the blocky weather forecast with and it just right. cuts to the um, weatherman who just goes, it's going to rain and then cuts away from him. I thought yeah. that was funny the first time I saw it. Apparently, it's a recurring thing. But oh. like I have I've seen these videos are like, try not to laugh. Family Guy edition. <laughs> More like try to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Take some substances first and see if it helps. Um, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I. It's okay. I. I but I, I just have no. no incentive to. Well, I have no incentive to watch it. I mean, your life is precious. You can <laughs> watch people reacting to stuff on YouTube instead. <laughs> you know, or <laughs> that is absolutely true. Maybe uh, some. Maybe some mildly amusing guys playing an NES game on Twitch. You know. Yeah. Sure. I. Uh, anyway. That brings my Halloween nightmare to a close. Uh, I think the big winner was probably the head. Oh, in terms of the, it being the best one. Yeah, that one uh, was like I is like I actually kind of want to see where that goes in a weird way. Um, but like, Big Mouth was just nothing. Uh, Red and Stimpy's adult party cartoon was. Like it, it's 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 all the worst. Well, I shouldn't say the worst. But no, maybe it is the worst parts of uh, John Chris Felucci's psyche just barfed up on the screen for all to see. Hmm. Um, and then Family Guy is just the most inept comedy writing ever. Wow. It's, maybe I'm being maybe I'm being maybe I'm exaggerating a little when I say that. But uh, for the purposes of this conversation, the people who make Family Guy do not know how to write comedy. Uh, the animators barely know how to animate. Hmm. And the voice actors is like four people who do their normal voices and Seth MacFarlane doing two voices for everyone else. Hey, it's Rick and Morty all over again. Or Rick and Morty is Family Guy all over again. Except, yeah. fa except Rick and Morty is genuinely interesting. I was thinking as you let in with that Monty Python opening that those cutaways is sort of Monty Python-esque, right? Where well, a scene, a scene, although it's usually a scene ending and then the call, you return to it much later in the episode. If you do, like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I think the writers of Family Guy, what they really want to do is a sketch comedy series. Like, if it was like these little cutaway gags that they were doing, yeah. um, but the show was just that instead of a thin premise that they can wedge some into. Yeah. Like if, if that's what you want to do, do that. And also tone down the offensiveness a little bit. Like you're not being edgy. It's kind of like, I remember, um, there was a, a latter day Marilyn Manson album. I can't remember what it was called. It might've been called the high end of low. And <laughs> okay. I remember, I remember I looked at the track list and there was a song called pretty as a swastika. Yeah. And I just went, oh, that's cute. Marilyn Manson thinks he can still shock people because mm. I can see him just sitting there waiting. He's like, is anybody going to be offended by this title so I can tell you that you don't get it? Like, no, uh, we just kind of know your shtick, Brian. His real name is Brian Warner. Like, we're we're kind of done with you. Um, you can say things are pretty as a swastika and explain that that means it's not pretty at all but by putting the title on the album jacket maybe people will go <gasps> and Family Guy's kind of the same where 
I don't even know what they're trying to do. It's like, are people like, oh, it's so funny how they're so over the top racist. Nobody would be that racist for real. Hilarious. Yeah. <sighs> what have you got, Micah? I'm done. I'm done with this. Well, you know, that reminds me of the time I was watching She-Ra. Um, oh, boy. Does it? <laughs> uh, I'm yes. offended. So I, I've continued watching She-Ra. Um, now, you remember one of my criticisms of the Horde was that it just looked too small of an organization. Yeah. Like, they send Lonnie, Kyle, and Rahelio on every mission, it seems. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's a scene where a character is, oh, I guess, we can't spoil She-Ra, right? Uh, we're, we're, uh, Catra's being punished. And it's like a ritual punishment. And so they've gathered uh, troopers on either side, kind of like the end of Star Wars, except much less of them. So there's okay. about 20. Like, my theory was that there's only about 20 Horde troopers, and there they all are. Um, <laughs> and so it kind of fulfilled that. But then the climax of season three is that alternate dimension stuff where oh, time, yeah. time has kind of reset. Yes, and, right. And, and Force Captain Adora attends a meeting and in the meeting there's a bunch of force captains including Scorpia yeah um including that octopus lady Octavia is that it? okay um yeah uh, I, it it's it's um believe me I wouldn't make up a name that obvious okay like uh, like that's some filmation level and indeed she is from the filmation series all right well that would be the action figures too I think but anyway um <laughs> the uh, the uh, lizard guy, yeah. and then the purple the purple monster guy giving the uh, debriefing, mm. and I thought like, wow, this is what I wanted. You know, <laughs> I wanted this this beastly squad like you'd get in uh, Skeletor's ranks or you know in in, uh, in Thundercats mutants that kind of thing, and right. we have it here. So here's my own head about this. Okay, All right. So in, in this timeline, the mission goes perfectly for assaulting that village. Adora right. leads it, and it's a big success. Okay. Um, and so we have this bigger horde full of a more uh, visually entertaining bunch of weirdos. Okay, so what really happened in the correct timeline is that Adora turned into She-Ra, and she single-handedly repelled them. She destroyed tanks, threw soldiers around, and... Mm -hmm. It, that episode had its own version of I Can See Their Parachutes, where, <laughs> where She-Ra, like, does something horribly violent to a Horde Trooper. And then, like, a second later, you see that the Horde Trooper moves his arm. You know, like, oh, I'm not actually dead, okay? Right, um, yeah. But she probably crippled them all. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the sick bay is probably big, more populous at uh, the Fright Zone than any active duty tr Horde Troopers. <laughs> So I imagine, like, after a mission, <laughs> there's a horde trooper who has to park his tank real fast because he has to get to the mess hall to start cooking, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's one that's, like, got to give a haircut right away. <laughs> and, um, so they're, like, really short-staffed. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Um, one thing, I talked quite a lot about the designs and largely my misgivings about them in the show. I'll yeah. say one thing is that the animators draw very good hands in this show. <laughs> um, it's like one of the uh, 
one of the fallbacks for animators, like the typical animator, rather than spend a month getting good at drawing hands, spends a weekend learning how to draw four positions for hands. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just that for life. But there are some good hands in there. I think especially with Katra, because she in particular expresses herself so much with her hands. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had moments where I was like, wow, that looks great. <laughs> I was looking at the thing. Um, let's see. All the, all the animators who couldn't draw hands, they put on Scorpia duty. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing. Oh, I, I mentioned that I thought Mermista was one of the better princesses. Yeah. There was a, a group shot where you can see their whole bodies head to toe. And I was struck at how normal, like how earth normal her sneakers are. <laughs> <laughs> They did break up her outfit in a kind of weird way. Um, so uh, I also mentioned that um, the I like the bad guys way better than the good guys. Yeah, kind of. They're they're similar. They have strong personality traits both ways. But the bad guys grow and uh, think, whereas yeah. the good guys are mostly just those personality traits. Like, yeah. I'm not sure if we're going to see any development for Perfuma and Remista and so uh, on. No, mm, nah. Or, for that matter, even Bow and Glimmer that much. I mean, I know it's there, but they're still annoying afterward. <laughs> um, and it really uh, came to the fore. When they go to the Crimson Waste, and for the first episode is all Adora, Bow, and, and uh, Glimmer. And then the second episode is Catra and Scorpia's adventures. And yeah. I was way more invested in them. It was so cool. Yeah, they're great. Well, I love seeing Catra be bad, too. Just, you know, like, I'm going to intimidate this guy. I'm going to steal that thing. I'm going to take over this. Um, yeah, is that the episode with Tongue Lashore? Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't do yeah. any Tongue Lashoring, but uh, no. that's okay. But I, that's okay. I just like that they're just like, Catra and Scorpia are so good at their job that the big thug that everyone in town is afraid of, they just mock his name the entire time and then effortlessly beat him up. I don't know about effortlessly. Catra kind of had to have a lot of guile and trickery to win. But yeah, I do like that it's the origin story of her whip. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, that episode made me think like, gosh, I wish the show was more about these guys. Yeah. And it, and it kind of is, right? Because it's... That's the the bad contrast is when you uh, when you see the good guys, they're acting like idiots and then they they flash back and you see something interesting. And also along those lines, I like um, Hordak and Entrapta together. Yeah, I, I like that um, she really wants to be around him. And it turns out that he quasi regards her as a friend enough to be badly hurt. Yeah. So, I yeah, I like them together, too. Um I kind of wish, see, Hordak in this, he's actually quite vulnerable, <laughs> but yeah. um, he's also super strong. You see him more than once lift a tremendous thing. Uh, yeah. But I do sort of, as much as I've mocked his filmation appearance, I do sort of wish he had shape-changing powers still. Yeah. yeah. You know, even if they were like little things like uh, uh, a lot of his tools for his science work were just like built into his arm and that kind of thing. I wish they'd done that, but... Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's to come because he is largely uh, robotic, but. Um, well, he's, I don't want to say anything. Okay. Okay. About what he is. 
But he's not um, going to turn into a uh, missile at any point, I guess. He um, is not going to turn into a missile, no. Oh. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, back to the Crimson Waste. It so happened that I watched an interview with Gina Davis before watching that episode. Mm-hmm. So immediately I was like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, Hantara. That's Gina Davis. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, I was thinking for, like, how I would have handled the story. I wanted to get to this, like, a couple weeks ago, but, uh, um... So I, I did want to have it a little more ambivalent to where, if, if not Hordak, at least members of the Horde have a um, understandable motivation. You know, okay. if, if if only to topple the darn monarchies. Um, yeah. And uh, the show establishes what it's doing really fast. You know, Adora meets Bo and Glimmer and... She, she sees the error of her ways and then becomes a freedom fighter. But the way I would have done it, I would have had her find the sword early, but remain Force Captain Adora, wicked and a conqueror. Um, but there would be a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing going on <laughs> where ah. she unknowingly turns into She-Ra and fights for good. <laughs> and even at parts, like where she's for an extended period of She-Ra, becomes friends of the other guys and then is, you know, like episodes in is, is conflicted once she figures out, oh, no, I'm the problem, you know, but also having a having literally a different persona and perspective. That's how she's become compassionate, which I don't think she would have been in the way they set up. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, th- that's what I've done. And then the, the big the, the big turning point would be the, the, the season one climax, I think, where but. Yeah. And of course, that would give us more of the Horde, who I like a lot better. Even if, <laughs> even if we got a show that was about the bad guys, mm-hmm. like I'd be rooting for them if they were Catra and Scorpia, and Entrapta yeah. too, I guess. Yeah, you kind of. It's almost like you have to think about this show as being about the villains, and there are only good guys, so there can be villains, um, relatively. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. By the way, speaking of villains, also want to get here that. Um, Shadow Weaver, that yeah. she's got her backstory detailed here, where she was kind of a mystery in filmation. Yeah. I, I always kind of felt that she was some sort of offshoot um, trollin' or goes <laughs> race, because yeah. she's got no feet and she floats and she wears a red uh, a red robe with a cowl that keeps her eyes, uh, keeps her face darkened except for her glowing eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can, uh, I can understand that thought. Hmm. Anyway, I guess that's, that's all my She-Ra stuff for right now. I'm, I'm in season four, so. Um, ah, okay. So your uh, your problems with Angela have been resolved. Yeah, and actually I predicted the way that was going to go. Not her specifically. Or rather, I was thinking like, wouldn't it be interesting if we, uh, if we often a character this way? If somebody made the ultimate sacrifice. And lo and behold. <laughs> but here's the thing. Is she actually on Eternia now? The show I, wouldn't answer that, but I I legitimately do not know that. Yeah, she would fit in pretty well, I would bet. Um, uh, oh, actually, that's that uh, reminds me of another thing. In the f- filmation storyline, Hordak steals Adora from the crib, right? But here, she just like appears from a portal, at least as far as we've seen so far. Yeah. Um. So it makes me think in that filmation one, 
how remarkable it is that they didn't change her name, even though she was a baby. They <laughs> kept it as Adora. <laughs> um, also, I, I, there's a lot of names like this, I guess, in there. Like one of Bo's dads is named Lance, which is a very, Lance, which is a very Earth name. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Bo, Lance. Yeah, but Bo, I would say any civilization could come with that one syllable name. Yeah, um, true. But Adora is like Italian, I guess. Um, and the weirdest one, King Micah. <laughs> I was wondering if you saw him yet. Which is Hebrew for he who is like Yahweh. Um, but well, it's spelled different. Is it? Oh, it's okay. spelled like the rock. Oh, okay. It weirds me out. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, it, I it, did wonder. I did wonder how that was going to go for you. It weirds me out in real life when people say my name. It like startles <laughs> me, which I guess is, you know, owes to my antisocial nature. Like, <laughs> why would you say that? Um, anyway, okay. So th- that, that, that's all for sure. Um, okay. all right. Oh, I got to get my other continuing theme here. Uh, I, I watched some more Simpsons. Uh-huh. Um, is this spooky? Well, not really. They're, they're okay. Um, it's not, certainly not family guy. <laughs> there, there was a good joke in there where it was the establishing shot of the hospital and the marquee outside said, we finally fired Dr. Nick. Huh. Uh, but that uh, made me think, you know what? I don't know if you've seen the goofiness of American politics, <laughs> but there's an opportunity to lampoon Dr. Oz with Dr. Nick. <sighs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, like Dr. <laughs> Oz is running for, I think, uh, congressman. It's and yeah, something. He, he's, 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 he's a flim flam man. He's a quack. So it'd be the perfect stand. And furthermore, Herschel Walker, the football player. <laughs> have you seen any of his stuff? A little oh, bit, man. yeah. What a lunatic. So I was thinking for him, maybe Dredderick Tatum. Seems like he's in the show a lot and they could use him there too. Um, but here's, as I thought about it some more, maybe the deal is, is that they're both going for the same congressional seat. It's like the Republican primary, mm-hmm. but Homer unexpectedly overtakes him because for one, Homer never met a crazy conspiratorial thing that he wouldn't, wouldn't be willing to espouse. But also all the weirdness and lies that those two candidates say are actually true about Homer. Right. Yeah. So like Dredder could claim, yeah, I got an astronaut. I got my little certificate from the, well, I guess from space camp, you could say, right. And hold up this little childish certificate. And <laughs> the Homer could say, oh, you've been to outer space too. You know, and then like <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Nick could claim that he had a, 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 a supplement that cured impotence. And Homer could pipe in like, oh, you mean like Simpson and Suntonic. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they go back into the whole thing, right? He's, he's done everything, so he becomes a Republican candidate, and they could do some really funny stuff with that. Who yeah. knows? Maybe, maybe there's still time. Yeah, I mean, they have, they have made fun of uh, Republican candidates before. Uh, if, with the mayoral le- election, with the Republican candidate Sideshow Bob, or as yeah, some yeah. know him, Slideshow Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, the Simpsons, you know, they're they're not above doing the same storyline multiple times. Maybe reality is too funny already. <laughs> maybe. Like, <laughs> Herschel Walker guy claimed to have a mist that cured COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's kind of like a whole political party saw a Farrelly Brothers movie and <laughs> declared, not stupid enough. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Oh, I got so much news here. Um, okay. I watched Scramble City, a Generation 1 Transformers special. Oh, weird. It's a Japan-only special, and I watched two versions of it, the original flavor and then fan dubs that try to work it into the timeline of the G1 cartoon. <laughs> um, so you've, you've proposed before that Transformers cartoons are toy commercials. Yeah. Uh, brother, this is a commercial. <laughs> so the plot of it is that secretly on Earth, uh, the Autobots and their human companions are building a battle platform. Operation Scramble City. Oh, okay. Um, and Megatron gets an inkling of that plan and sends the cassettes to uh, scout it, including new cassette Ratbat. <laughs> and they meet Blaster at the entrance of the uh, of the base, and he puts out his new cassettes. Um, interestingly, this show depicts Ravage and Blaster's cassette C Steeljaw the Panther. Yeah. Not or or. Uh, Jaguar, whatever, the yellow one. Uh, it depicts them flying, which <laughs> looked really weird to me. Um, <laughs> anyway, so after Ratbat confirms that the thing is going on, Devastator is sent there. The Constructicons go form Devastator, and the Seekers go as well to wreck the secret factory, uh, but they retreat when the aerial bots attack. So next, Megatron sends the Stunticons to go head-to-head, <laughs> -head, Menasaur versus Superion. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that. You yeah, you know you mentioned how that the toys are modular. You can put different parts in the slots and post-Devastator. Post-Devastator, yes. Yeah. Um, it is actually in the cartoon. Apparently, different configurations have different advantages. So Superior will go like, switch, you know, to attack mode. Right? And they oh. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But so... so uh, <laughs> Superion and Menasaur uh, switch their parts around a lot while they're fighting. But okay. here's the funny thing. Menasaur gets the upper hand by uh, opportunistically taking off his arm and making it take the place of Superion's leg when he's forming so that he's crippled. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crafty. Yeah. Uh, he fights dirty for sure. Yeah, yeah. Superion's like hobbled because he's just got a car for a leg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Man, Devastator is the best one. Can't do that with me. I, well, I also think the Constructicons have less personality problems than the uh, other ones. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, Superion makes a comeback, but then the Combaticons arrive and form Bruticus. Oh, boy. And the arms race continues when Scramble oh. City a.k.a. Metroplex, is finished and <laughs> rolls out of the factory. And from his battle platform, the Protectopots roll out to join the fray, quickly combining to Defensor. The tide is turned until Trypticon shows up. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, opposite to the Season 3 canon, uh, Trypticon emerges from the water, which is his weakness. You can't get him wet, but not here. They hadn't, they hadn't established that yet, I guess. Okay. Also, this doesn't really fit in the timeline because he's officially introduced in season three. Um, so it doesn't make sense that he appears here. 
Metroplex, Metroplex is just kind of rolled in, like you just pretend that he was in the transformation of Autobot City in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that's where it ends, like on a cliffhanger. Huh. Here's all the toys, and they're all fighting right here. Wow. Um, yeah, like I said, the, the, the people have fan-dubbed it and inserted shots from the series and movie in order to, you know, incorporate other stuff, like Optimus Prime leaving and... Oh, sorry, the Decepticons abandoning their underwater base to <laughs> go focus on Cybertron, and then Optimus taking a shuttle to... Uh, take the fight to them on Cybertron's moons. It's kind of clumsy. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, I guess the last thing in my news thing here, I watched Vampire Hunter D. Oh, yeah. You know, as like a Halloween ritual. Sure. Um, yeah, great movie. Uh, maybe I'll watch Bloodlust 2 before Halloween comes up, the, the second Vampire Hunter D movie. Hmm. Um, so I recommend it to everyone who likes a fair amount of gore and some Dungeons and Dragons-y kind of thing. It's it's a it's a uh, a fantasy story about a half vampire bounty hunter ten thousand years in the future, after after a nuclear destruction of the world, and the only thing that remains is uh, human beings underneath a caste system of vampire nobility. Hmm. Um. What can be said about it? It's cool. I like that it doesn't hold your hand. Full of mutants. You know, I like that. Yeah. Um, I vaguely remember Vampire Hunter D. I'm pretty sure I've watched some of it at some point. Oh, so good. And yet, the first one is... It's a mixed bag. Um, Toyo Ashida, who also directed the uh, Fist of the North Star movie, uh, he does some parts so well, and other parts... Well, the first half of Vampire Hunter D is real, real good. Yeah. And then, I think for years, my goodwill from how good it starts carried to the end because the end is so disorganized. <laughs> it's like they, it's like they made it in order and then ran out of time and money. Hmm. <laughs> so like, um, what happens? Or, okay. So, uh, Doris needs to be captured and taken to the castle. How are we going to convey that, uh, through voiceover while D's unconscious, you know? Yeah. yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. Like you're wondering, uh, how did he get there? Why is this happening at the end? It's just just rushed to the end. I will say, though, um, the first movie has that trope where when the boss is killed, his fortress falls apart. Yeah, yeah. Boy, does it ever. In that case, uh, yeah, it's crumbling apart, but also uh, it sinks into a fissure into the earth, along with all the clouds in the sky pouring into that fissure. Oh, wow. And... Yes. And then day and night cycles dozens of times in a hurry. And then black tendrils come out of the ground and uh, I guess they're representing evil. They fly away to the horizon. Um, There's a one shot of D and the survivors looking at the castle going, of course you would look like all the audio is of the dramatic music and of, you know, while like the sun is cycling through the sky at mega speed going day, night, day, night. Um, Mm -hmm. If you could hear them, I'm sure they'd be nudging each other like, wow, get a load of this. <laughs> God. Anyway. Um, okay, I, ex- I guess my news is done. That's a that's a Halloween-y kind of thing. Um, yeah. I just want to pop we- in one more quick thing, something yeah. I forgot. I saw today. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes. Um, do you remember a scene where I, I just saw this scene out of context, but there's this yeah. big hulking blonde guy who I think is a villain. 
Um, yep. And he commandeers a car that is oh, yes. uh, being driven by, or it's being driven by a driver, but the senator. S- senator Wilson Phillips? Yeah. 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 Oh, Wilson Phillips. I didn't catch that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's... He's... Okay, that's... um. Boy, do I, t- do I say... Yeah, this show's forever old. And if you watch it, there's tons of stuff that'll surprise you. That bad guy is Dio. Um, oh, from... Okay, it's season one. Yeah. It, no, no, it's Dio in the 80s. Oh. Um, he... Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I won't spoil it. It, it. There's a reason why he looks like that in particular. But it's yeah, it's, it's getting toward the climax of season three. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason that I saw this clip... Yeah. Is because it was just a clip that somebody put on YouTube of the English dub of that. Okay. Uh, and apparently the voice of Senator Wilson Phillips yes. is Charles Martinet. Yes, yeah. <laughs> this, I think, I think this is the OAVs. They, oh, they, yeah, yeah, it is. Way back they made, yeah, they did a first attempt starting with season three to make anime of, of, of JoJo's. Yeah. But... Yeah. I did, I've never watched it. Is he uh woohoo and the like? <laughs> no, he's Does he just, have a different take? Not really. Like, it, it, he kind of just sounds like a voice actor in an anime, like an English voice actor ah. in an anime. He doesn't, he sounds old. Um, and I had to kind of, like, you, I don't know that you would know that it was him because, you know, yeah. the voice that you know him best as is so exaggerated. Like, who knows what he sure. really sounds like. Um, but yeah, I just thought, oh, interesting. Ha. Didn't expect that yeah. in there. Yeah. There's, there's proponents that he should voice Mario in the uh, Illumination movie. And my thought is, I don't even know if this guy can act. <laughs> I, I, I saw that too, and I thought about it, and I went, you don't want that Mario voice speaking complete sentences. <laughs> yeah. It sounds weird in, in video games when he does it, like, select your player. It's kind what of What is it, this place? Mushroom yeah, yeah. Kingdom, here we come. We okay, Princess Peach. We need to go to the castle and get the power stars from Bowser. Like, no, like, no. Just stick to woohoo. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, I've wandered away from my perfect segue talking about. Yeah, uh, you you mentioned post-apocalyptic uh, wastelands thousands, and yeah, terrors. thousands of years in the future. Yeah, different versions of the same cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, let's get it. You want me to set this up? Sure. Uh, Okay, here's what we got. This is a movie from 1983 called Rock and Rule. The movie that created slash destroyed Nelvana. (laughs) uh, Nelvana, the the Canadian animation company, put all their eggs in this theatrical basket, and the basket's bottom fell out, uh, in part due to their pressure from their distributor in the United States. And then that distributor just kind of not uh, promoting the movie. Uh, Oh yeah. Lots of problems. But um, basically this was Nelvana's big break and it broke and they were reduced to, I I mentioned this during the Care Bears movie review. They, uh, they were reduced to just making straight to video or TV. I guess it wouldn't have been straight to video in 83. Uh, They were reduced to making straight to TV specials, just half hour, buy this toy, buy these mad balls, buy this herself, the elf. Um, Yeah. Because they needed money because all the money they had went into this movie. And it's 
its box office gross was about $30,000. Yeah, on a budget of $8 million. Yeah. Uh, I think American dollars we're talking. Yeah, probably. So what is it? Well, let me tell you. It opens with a little... <laughs> with a, a title that... Well, a, a little placard... You know, it sounds trite nowadays, but hey, guess what? The wars have ended. It's it's years in the post-apocalyptic future, and street animals like dogs and cats and rats have evolved into humanoids. Mm. Every furry justification ever. Yeah. Uh, now, let me read directly from the uh, screen here. Mock, a legendary super rocker, has retired to Ometown. There, his computers work at deciphering an ancient code which would unlock a doorway between this world and another dimension. Obsessed with his dark experiment, Mock himself searches for the last crucial component, a very special voice. And that is kind of what the beginning of this movie, once it actually starts, sets up. Uh, they've been... Mock and his toadies have been searching the world for this voice but they have not been able to find it they've come back to his home of ohm town and they're gonna go to one last show along the way mock in his car talks to his computer which reminds him yes we have this apocalypse key we're we're ready to go but we need this voice Mock has constructed a ring which will glow when the voice is heard. It has to be a living voice. You can't do a recording. It has to be somebody actually singing in real time. And what this is going to do is open a portal to another dimension and unleash the beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess will revitalize his slightly sagging career? <laughs> This this sounds like the plot of a movie called Rock and Rule, if you ask me. Yeah. I like that he's a legendary super rocker, one word. Yep. And then his robot has a CG computer display. Yep. Of, of the day, which to me, uh, if I were to make a tribute movie to this era, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would make sure to include at least one really old-fashioned CG robot face. Just like an, <laughs> Like in the pole position cartoon or Galaxy Rangers or this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird early 80s CG in this. Yeah, or, it looks great. Or at least though. super. But it's, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, the place that Mock goes to is a club called Mylar's, which is a is having an open talent night. And there we meet the band. They don't have a name as far as I can That's tell. Weird. Um, yeah, weird. But it's but it's mainly the drummer Dizzy. The bass player, Stretch, the keyboardist, Angel, who is the girl, and lead singer slash guitarist slash songwriter, Omar, although Angel also fancies herself a songwriter. Uh, she and Omar have a little discussion backstage where Omar says they're going to play one song, one of his, of course, that Angel sort of suggests maybe we do two, and maybe the second one can be one of mine. And Omar is non-committal, but maybe. Um, we, there's just some setup here where we meet, uh, you know, Dizzy is kind of the competent one. Stretch is the complete idiot, Heck. you know, a weird lanky goof. 
Yeah. But whatever. It's time for them to I, perform. I do like that when they're performing and uh, Omar is singing all these romantic lyrics that Stretch is reacting to them all. Right? <laughs> like when he says things about how pretty her hair is, Stretch is, is like stroking his hair like, oh, me? Yeah, yeah. But then the punchline is pretty useless because this is a really yeah. hate-filled song. Like, And, yeah, yeah. and Mylar <laughs> is clearly not uh, feeling it. Yeah. And eventually he just tells his lackeys to pull the plug because obviously this band has nothing. There's an implied threat to Mylar, so he turns the power back on. But this time Angel takes the stage and starts singing her own song, which uh, annoys Omar to the point that he leaves. But in the back of the club, Mylar is sucking up to their uh, new arrival, Mock. But Mock is fixated on the stage because as Angel sings, his ring starts glowing. This is good news. Mylar figures they've got something working here. And so he goes back to make a deal. Although, you know, the Omar is already gone. Angel is gone. Dizzy and Stretch are like, oh, neat. And they're kind of suggesting, what if it's a duo? What if Omar and mm. Angel are both singers? Eh, that might work, I guess. Anyway, uh, there's a, a little scene that doesn't really matter at all where they're being followed around by a police officer. I guess it just sets, uh, sets up who the police officer is because we'll need him later. Yeah, and that these guys are punks. Yeah. Also, there's... Uh, an advertisement from Mock for his new album slash show called Rock and Rule. Hey, that's mm. where the title comes from, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, eventually, Angel and Omar meet up. They talk it out. Basically, Omar wants to be super famous immediately. And Angel's like, I want to be super famous, too. But we, it, you can't. It doesn't happen overnight. They make up and indeed go to the makeout place where they are interrupted by one of Mock's thugs, who gives them a card. They are invited to Mock's house. Omar claims he's not going to go, but then he does. The whole band goes up there. Uh, they meet Mock's guys, the Schlepper Brothers, who are <laughs> big thuggish butlers on roller skates named uh, Toad, Sleazy, and Zip. Uh, Mock finally shows up and he is only really interested in Angel. The others, um, Omar and Stretch, are incapacitated with a kind of drug called an Edison ball. Just a pink ball that hypnotizes you. This is one of the two or three scenes in this movie that I remembered all those years. I looked it up. I think Edison balls is a reference uh, to a habit Thomas Edison had where he'd hold a metal ball so mm. that if he fell asleep, the sound of it would wake him back up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. By the way, one of the great entrances, Mock appearing before them, has electricity, and then you can see all his, like, muscles and bones, and yeah, finally yeah. when he gets up there, he's windswept, and he has a beer uh, suspended on his fingertip. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is pretty good. It's... uh it's almost like something out of She-Ra, really. The filmation version. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, all the, the in-camera effects, all that, you know, zip and zap kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The classic, I'm mock. 
Oh yes, and what the way he looks! Oh my God, he's he's a Mick Jagger parody. Oh yeah, Mick Jagger or like Iggy Pop to some extent, like huge, well, like lips and his yeah. His name is Mock Swagger. So oh, that's yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. it's very much Mick. Yeah, I didn't realize his last name was Swagger. Neither did I, but it affirmed it for me. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, he is clearly old. Um, but anyway. Where was I? He had incapacitated Stretch and Omar. Dizzy, being the smart one, knows that something's wrong, and he slips away to find Angel, who has gone off with Mock. Now, Mock, he wants to sign a contract with Angel. He wants her to be his next big star along with him. But Angel is loyal to her band. She is not going to go anywhere without them. Mock is disappointed. He, he's putting on a whole bunch of magic tricks, which are, you know, being orchestrated by the Schlepper brothers in a control room. I was going to ask, do you think that he has black magic or is it all just trickery? I think it's all just trickery and the black magic is what he's trying to accomplish. Okay. Anyway, he leaves behind a rose, which um, Angel picks up. And then that rose incapacitates her with some weird tendrils after one of the schleppers pushes a button. So they, oh, one of the schleppers, as Dizzy is looking around for Angel, one of the schleppers finds him and uh, gets the two stoned guys and Dizzy back in their car and sends them on their way. Um, by which I mean it starts rolling uncontrollably. There are mostly hover cars in this world, and I guess it's like they're so poor that their car still has wheels. Oh, you so, know what? Uh, D- Dizzy says, I can't drive this thing, and he drives later, but that that explains it to me. He can't drive a wheeled car. Yeah, I thought about that too, because like, I was specifically looking for it when they when they were driving later. I'm like, okay, who's driving this car? Is it Dizzy? Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, okay, it's a hover car. I guess that makes sense. Because it has a steering wheel, and the car he's driving has two handles. So, right. it all, would be... All, all that feedback would be so disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they're sent on their way, um, being told that Angel is going with Mock, and indeed, we see his dirigible being inflated. They're heading to Nuke York. <laughs> they crash the car crashes into a fountain, which wakes up the stone guys. And then their policeman friend shows up to uh, arrest him for various minor infractions. And they respond by stealing his car. They are going to drive that car the three-day journey to Nuke York, which they do. It's a bunch of shots of big deserts. Uh, That's cool, though. There's a light bridge. Yeah, that light bridge is awesome. It's like this, it's this empty chasm and only when a car is driving over it then a light bridge appears and then it turns off once the car is gone that's pretty cool yeah. and I also thought it was cool there was an overhead shot where the car just goes off road like the road winds but it just shortcuts right across everything to yeah, where, yeah, yeah. back to the, where the road comes that's pretty pretty nice for just a you know a little travel sequence yeah they arrive in Nuke York or at the beginning at the at the entrance to it apparently the city is closed uh Omar Omar has tried to scam a bunch of people and it has failed every time. Like Mm. everybody just sees through Omar. For for example, when he tries to claim that he's an inspector who is going to be looking into the power problem in the city and the the guy's like, okay, whatever. Um, Yeah. 
we cut away from that to go back to what's happening with Angel and Mock. Uh, Angel, is, well, I, sh I shouldn't say Angel and Mock because Mock has basically imprisoned Angel in his base in yeah. Nuke York. But while she's there, somebody slips down from the air ducts. It's the fourth schlepper, their sister, Cinderella or Cindy. Now, she is kind of stuck here, but she's figured out how to escape through the air ducts and she wants to go party with uh, with Angel. She just assumes that Angel is Mock's latest girlfriend. And so, hey, let's be friends. Come on, let's go party. While they're slipping through the air ducts, um, they happen to go above Mock's base of operations where he's talking to his computer. So the computer has a specific series of notes that the voice has to sing, which will open the gate and unleash the beast. Nothing can stop it. Oh, except one thing. Uh, another voice can send the beast back. When Mock wants to know who the voice is, the computer just replies, it's one voice, one heart, one song. But who is the voice? There is no one. And Mock is like, oh, good. There's no one. Great. So once I unleash the beast, it's stuck. So now Angel knows what Mock's plan is, but she still has to pretend to be on the Mock side for Cindy's sake. And so the two of them slip out of the air ducts to head off to presumably party. Yeah. Um, at this point, why don't I let Micah describe what happens next? Okay, one thing. Uh, Cindy describes the security there as tighter than a hummingbird's tweet. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, also, Mock's computer there is freaky. It's hooked up to a sloppy, squishy, giant organic brain. Yeah. That's why I know that. Anyway, um, across town, we look in at Edith's tattoo parlor. You see, uh, Edith is Dizzy's aunt, and she bailed the boys out of jail. Um, when she's told that they came to find Angel and have a word with her, she clues them that she gave a winged heart tattoo to Cinderella, you know, the, uh, the Schlepper sister, and that she, Cinderella, can be found at a certain club 666. She can't remember any other details about this distinct girl, though. Um, anyway, this conversation happens during a job, and the guy with the new tattoo leaves and immediately calls Toad on a video payphone to pay back a favor with info on Cinderella, Omar, and all. <laughs> but no favor goes unpunished. Toad vaporizes him through deadly interphone technology. Yeah. And do you know who this guy is? I don't recall. For voice, you mean? Yeah. Who's it? An extremely, extremely early... Maurice LaMarche. Oh, right. I remember seeing that he's in this. Oh, okay. He even says a swear. Yeah. He's doing a French accent, too. Yeah. So, at that CD club, we get a wild disco scene with boobs, boobs, so many boobs. Yeah. Every one of them with nipples protruding through the clothing. That's right. At least two boobs, at least every other shot. <laughs> um... And we also, we get a rad Earth, Wind, and Fire song here called Dance, Dance, Dance. Yeah. It really really suits the scene. 
Uh, oh, there's also, th- there's one small detail yeah. that you left out. Um, What's that? Now that now that the Schlepper sisters know or brothers know what's going on, they're ready to go get Angel back. And also they know that their her bandmates are there. Um, so oh, yeah. they're going to go. But then Mock interrupts and says, no, wait, follow them. But I have a better idea for what right, to do right. with them. So there's plans. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the dim club full of debauchery, Dizzy and Stretch snoop around like a couple of creeps examining any bit of exposed flesh on every female. (laughs) Eventually, Dizzy finds Cinderella, but unfortunately for them, Toad and his brothers find her too, and they capture Dizzy and Stretch. Omar manages to fade into the mist literally to avoid the brothers and the police, but he's lured by Angel seemingly up a firescape. There waits Mock as well, and Omar is crushed when Angel acts like Mock's girl. So he's easily caught as he runs away. But it is a ruse. Angel was just an actress in disguise. Yeah, I like that this actress is named What's-Her-Face. Oh, officially? Oh, that's, I mean, that she's referred that's what, to that. That's she's, what Mock calls She's her. referred by that name twice, and it's the only name we see. Huh. Well, that makes sense. I imagine that she always covers up her, uh, her, uh, how to describe her? Hideous? Her hideous face? Yeah. I wonder if Um, it's the same what's-her-face from Green Day's American Idiot. Probably not. (laughs) Referencing this movie? (laughs) Hmm. Um, So as for the actual angel, she is leveraged into agreeing to sing for the ritual when she has shown her bandmates trapped and tortured in an energy sphere. I think it's a giant energy... I think it's a giant Edison ball. It looks just like the balls that they were getting drunkened on earlier. Well, that explains how they are at the end. Yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, when she agrees, they're released, but again, uh, they, Mock has scrambled their brains. And he shuttles the airheaded musicians back to their hometown, hometown. <laughs> uh, by way of a time jump and newscast, we're told that the concert and demon summoning didn't succeed because a power surge blew up the stadium and blacked out the city. I mean, we get some peeks at shots of what happened, but I think they're actually just reused shots from the end of the movie. Yeah. It's weird that we're told and not shown. (laughs) Yeah. Fully anyway. Well, I mean, you don't, you know, they have to save the climax of the movie. Like, you know, it won't have the same effect if you see this beast summoned twice. I guess. Also, Um, my favorite character in this movie, I guess my favorite. No, maybe my favorite character. There's this like girl, like cat girl or something who's kind of explaining on the newscast uh, her experience at the concert. Oh, yes, yes. I just like her. I like her striped stockings. I like her messy black hair that's flopping all over the place. She's also pretty cute. <laughs> she looks like she's from the Goofy movies. Kinda. A little bit. Maybe that's why I like yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the um, way, does um, speaking of which, the look of the characters in this we should describe, they're all basically humans with the... They, they look like goof troops. They do. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. With, o- Omar's got a really pronounced nose. Yeah. Some of them um, are more clearly rats than others. Like they have a big long nose, but even that is like pink at the end. But then, you know, Angel, yeah. Angel has the, you know, goof troop girl, little human face with a little button nose. Yeah. Maybe she's a mouse. You can see her ears sometimes. That's true. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're all kind of the same thing. Yeah. At that point, they're all mutts. They're all interbred cats, dogs, and rats, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so Mock's computer informs him that a suitable power source exists 
at the hometown power plant. <laughs> so he, he, uh, the villain, sets his mobile fortress in flight back to hometown. Along the way, he dreams a musical number of My Name is Mark. Thanks a lot. Yeah. The One of the more memorable scenes from the movie. I think. It really is. Yeah. The hottest thing since World War Three. Yeah. I like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like his background uh, singers, too. You only really see them in like highlighted silhouette. But yeah, yeah. I like them. I like the way they look. Yeah, this is uh, sung by Lou Reed, this bit. Um, yeah. Uh, so when he wakes up, he sees Zip, the stupidest of his henchmen, yeah. watching, watching a demented children's program called Uncle Mikey. It's like something that would be on the TV in Beetlejuice almost. <laughs> it, it is. Um, it totally is. And, and yeah, that's yeah. also animated by Nelvana, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. all makes sense. Oh, and also, speaking of Beetlejuice, Catherine O'Hara was the voice of Edith. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, Dizzy's on. It, yeah. it all just wraps together. So the brute takes a moment to ask the boss about good and evil, but Mock dismisses questions of morality and innocence. Uh, moments later, Angel tries to woo Mock and persuade him not to hold the concert and summon the devil. No dice. When she refuses to sing, he flies into a tantrum. He directs his goons to drug Angel and connect her to the circuit board. Uh, back at Mylar's club, an adult Omar, Dizzy, and Stretch perform a new easygoing light tune, a new direction for their band. Yeah, they're called Omar and the Daycares now. Hey, they got a name for their band. Yeah. Um, Mylar, fed up with them, leaves to organize Mock's new concert at the power plant. What and a concert venue. Like, Why not? Like, like, well, I work in an industrial plant, and the answer is you don't want... First of all, you couldn't fit hundreds of thousands of people in there, um, but yeah. also you wouldn't want them around all that super dangerous equipment. I imagine Mock probably has like a, mo a modular stage or something that he can put uh, down. Maybe, you know? yeah. He also has yeah. a lot of pull. True, true. Um, so, uh, on the stage, in a scanty outfit and spread out in restraints, Angel is forced to sing through those mechanical connections and drugs. Uh, Mock controls from above, playing something like a high-tech theremin. Yeah. You know, just waving his hand over some pipes. Yeah, it's like the top of a pipe organ, except that you play yeah. by touching, by waving over those, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, his servants find that they need even more power, so they draw it from lightning strikes. That surge blacks out the rest of the city. Boy, didn't they hear what happened in New York? <laughs> anyway, um, and a resulting electric shock reverts Omar and the boys back to their senses. Dizzy and Stretch resolve to go help Angel, but Omar shuffles off, off convinced by what he saw earlier, that she doesn't want any help. Anyway, the same policeman from earlier shows up to nab them all. But once again, Dizzy and Stretch steal his car. Hey. There's a weird little difference between versions. I mentioned there's different versions of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I watched two different versions, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so in one of them, the officer... Okay, both times he, he angrily goes, Slime! When they run away. Yeah. But the second time, he, like, waves his hand, like, Ah, forget it. Oh, hmm. Um, yeah, it's weird. So at the concert, the music opens up a star-shaped portal in the stage. From it, all kinds of hellions writhe, and uh, eventually, the giant jaws of the demon appear. 
Dizzy and Stretch literally crash the cop car into the stadium, just as the impressive monster appears. And again, I'm pretty sure this is cut in the second version, but the demon's long tongue snags several audience members and it consumes them. Yeah. Uh, the demon moves then to eat a helpless restrained angel, but just then, Omar announces his appearance with a punk rock scream. He jumps to the stage and frees Angel from her manacles with a swing of his guitar. The demon attacks him, but taken up with his conscience, Zip skates in the way and is lethally struck. Toad goes to his dying brother and takes his last words. He asks if they are evil. The death of his brother turns Toad's vengeful eyes up to a maniacally laughing mock. So after checking Omar's unconscious self, Angel advances on the demon and begins to sing, confident that, like she heard earlier from Mock's computer, her voice can send him back. And she sings her song. But it doesn't seem to be enough. After Dizzy and Stretch put out some hellfire that threatens Omar, Omar gets up and joins Angel on the stage and in song. Together, they're one voice, one heart, one song. And the agonized demon regresses back into the portal. This drives Mock to a fit, but while he's focused on his defeat, Toad comes from behind, and he tosses the super rocker into the hell portal too. And though he clings and moans, he's sucked down and the portal closes. The crowd loves what they see. <laughs> Mylar promotes them as the next big thing. You know, even though Mock was dragged to hell, especially because he was, I don't think this performance is going to hurt his legend at all. Nah. <laughs> Talk about going out on top. Um, yeah, nobody will know how evil he was, just how spectacularly he flamed out. Yes. Um, by the way, there's an added extra shot for the Canadian TV broadcast. Uh -huh. Like I said, in one of these versions. Rather toothlessly, it shows that Zip isn't actually dead. Huh. Lame. That's um, that's not on the... By the way, the version that I watched was my own personal DVD that I bought with my own money. Yeah, I watched one version that was like that, and it had like the... Um, it, it had the demon eat those people in the audience, right? Yep. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's a weird mishmash of things. There's, we'll get to that in a second. But let's end this movie first of all. Okay. The, uh, the final shot shows mourning over Ohm Town, and a tilt-up slash dissolve shows the credits over a blue sky with a rainbow. That rainbow and the production credit to Patrick Lubert, Lubert, Patrick Lubert, and Michael Hirsch forecasts the future of Nirvana. <laughs> Care Bears Countdown. Yep. <laughs> That's nice. You know what? <laughs> this poor movie, it, oh, yes. it has basically the same ending as Return of the Jedi and came out yeah. like three months later. Okay, yeah. Well, you know what? Nobody saw this movie except George Lucas apparently did. Well, he really liked it. Well, I mean, no. he already he already had a relationship with Nirvana. Oh, did he? Oh, well, are he, you are you he, saying he, this truthfully or facetiously? No, it's true. Oh. Um He already had a relationship with Nirvana from the Christmas special. Oh, right. Yeah. And seeing this movie, you thought like, wow, these are the guys that have to make droids and Ewoks. <laughs> It's just, so. it's just funny. It's, it's ex <laughs> like mocks the way that like the henchman suddenly groans a conscious, picks up the villain and throws him into a pit. Like hey, it's yeah. the exact same thing as the end of Return of the Jedi. 
Sure, sure. And this, mm. and this, because animation takes so long, this probably would have been in the works. Well, it would have been in the works, but as I understand it, it was being rewritten as it was being made. So who knows? Oh. Maybe they just put that in well, after they saw Return of the Jedi and went, oh, that's good. On three months notice, let's animate this in. Yeah. You know, um, my point about that earlier bit, how that New, New York part really fizzles. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. It's, it's a weird movie in that they go to New York and it doesn't work and they come back, but there's nothing really shown there yeah. too much. I mean, the club scene is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But what they should have done rather than like Vampire Under D tell it all with like voiceover and <laughs> some sparse shots. Yeah. What it should have done is maybe Dizzy and Stretch and Omer maybe they should have been the ones to foil or cause the power surge in Nuke York. Hmm. Right? Because yeah. as it is, it's just kind of like, oh, it didn't work and we didn't show you it not work and now we're going back. Yeah. So, a little weird, I think. This movie is um, pretty all over the place. Um, there are parts overall, of it where... That's, that's the, part, the only part that I think is quite bad. Yeah. It's just... It has a lot of... Um, shots like establishing shots of things like long shots of overhead of cities with a car going like and it, it just feels like it's padding it, it's kind of oh. like the dark crystal like that movie will have like long <laughs> long shots of just a the mystic the mystics walking across the desert <laughs> or even just like a field is like it'll just show this swamp and then one muppet eats another muppet and then it goes to this other part of the swamp and there's a fly what? and then oh back to I the characters mind. yeah and this movie I don't I don't mind that so much mm. it's, it's it's funny you say that though dark crystal has that bit where they mind meld and eh. cover everything real fast it's kind of like this too yeah <laughs> yeah um so this movie aired on Canadian television, um, yeah. which is where I saw it. And as a, yes, as a youngster, um, remember all, all the boobs still in there. Yeah, but no, like the, here's the, here's exactly what I remember. I remember that there yeah. was a Zeppelin of some kind. Okay. I remembered that the guys got, uh, drunken by staring at a glowing ball. Yeah. And I remember the fat guy mooning out of a train window. Oh, yes, while he was high. Because it was yeah, a yeah. butt on TV. Um, and those are the only specifics that I remembered. But boy, this movie stuck with me all those years. And I was trying to find it. I spent so long trying to figure out what the heck before the Internet. You know, I couldn't look it up on the yeah, Internet yeah. in the late 80s and early 90s. I was like, what the heck was that movie? Um, the only thing I knew about it was that glowing ball. And so uh, a okay. mutual friend of mine is like, is it this? And he sat me down and we watched Heavy Metal. And I was like, no, oh, yeah. it's a different I... 80s animated movie with a glowing <laughs> ball. Um, right. And then it was you when I was, uh, you know, yeah. when I got to know you and realized that you knew a lot about animation. I was like, hey, do you remember a cartoon that was on TV and it was like this? And you were like, sounds like rock and rule. And I just went, yes, <laughs> like the, the title <laughs> triggered. I'm pretty sure that I've seen this decade once in every, or sorry, this movie once in every decade of my life. <laughs> um, um, I would have no special reason. It's, it's not like my favorite movie or anything. I think it's just, I don't know. It's like a, a weird bit of Canadian history, sort of. Yes, it know? is. Yeah. Uh, if we want to talk about childhood impressions, the one, the impression I had watching it as a kid was based on the group dynamic of the band uh -huh. and their looks to some respect, their personalities. I always compared them to the band, this band, to the characters from Kid Video. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
Okay, there's lots lots to like in this movie. Mostly like Mock. Mock steals every scene. Mo- yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I like his psychedelic weirdness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I like his just general weirdness. All his wigs and outfits and his mu- his self-aggrandizing music. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's cool. I love Mock. Um, uh, I love this movie yeah, yeah. irrationally. Well, I mean, it's got great technical drawing. Yeah. I mean, you. this is the way futuristic stuff looked back then. Yeah. It's all grooves and plates, so many lines on this metal surface, and uh, hallways are all hexagonal or rhomboid or other funky shapes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it looks great still. It's I like all these uh, in-camera effects, too. Mm-hmm. They're pretty sweet. Now, I'll say... The first one that I watched is the uh, the wretched version that was edited and and went to theaters and the one that thirty thousand people saw. <laughs> the sound I don't I don't know if it, at first I didn't know if it was just the videos like how they've been preserved and then maybe there was generation loss because the sound is bad and I felt really robbed because it was hard to hear the music. Mm-hmm. But after a little reading, no, that's just the way it was. The sound was bad. Yeah. It's since been rescued. To some extent, I found watching my DVD copy that there was a lot of instances where the music was really drowning out the dialogue. Like, I couldn't hear the stuff that Dizzy and Stretch and Mylar were saying at the end. Like, I literally... the opposite way the other way. Yeah. Weird. Um, Overall, I like that version better, though, because you want to hear the songs in something called Rock and Rule. Songs that feature Cheap Trick, um, uh, Debbie Harry, yeah, Iggy Pop has a song in there, I think, and, uh, you know, and the Earth, Wind & Fire one is great. Yeah. Yeah. It, I even like even like the non-famous songs. Like, there's one called Hot Dogs and Sushi that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, let me see. We we're we're going a long time, so we should probably think about wrapping up soon. But um, well, well we should we should do some voices. Yeah, I think, yeah right? the voices. Um, oh boy, uh, dizzy. Yes, unrecognizable. Dan well, Hennessy. Once, once, once you know, you hear it. But yeah, I don't know. Like I saw that at the end, I was like, what? And I started thinking back. It's like thinking about his. His like meek little voice. He's going like, "I gotta find Angel." But that's not. Whenever and I, he, yeah. Whenever he screams. Well, I looked get, it up. Like, like I, I, I looked up. Like, wait a minute. Is Dan Hennessy the guy I'm thinking of? Yeah. Okay. Canadian legend Dan yeah, Hennessy. Yeah, Braveheart, Braveheart Lion. Lion. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. him. And I'm like, yeah. I just Genghis Rex. I just yeah. could not reconcile that. Like, I could not believe that that was Dizzy. Well, this is the beginning of Nelvana. Yeah. So he didn't have a niche yet, right? No. He's. You know what's funny? Who is the main character of this movie? Aside from Mock. <laughs> uh, Tradition people would say Omar, right? Angel th- and or Omar. Yeah. Although yeah, I, I think I think Dizzy and Angel do more than he does. Dizzy really does. Like Dizzy, like yeah, Omar. Yeah. Omar is the square soft protagonist who is not interested in participating in the plot. Hmm. Like um, I remember playing a video game called The World Ends With You. And I played a little bit of it until my character, every time he's like, oh, you got to do this. And he would just say dot, dot, dot and walk away. And I'm like, why do you why do you want me to play a video game where the protagonist that I am theoretically controlling doesn't want to play the game? And that's kind of what Omar is, is like, 
I don't want to do this. I don't want to do... Oh, I, nobody needs to save Angel. Oh, I don't want to be part of this band. Like, he's... He just doesn't want to participate in the plot. He has to. But, like, he's just so... Disinterested. Not even disinterested. His voice, his voice is recast. You know that? I did know that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think... I, I'm not sure which is which, but I think the original one... Not saying that I, he's that much better, but he has... He's he's less one note, and he has a little more warmth. He's more natural. I think the other one is sort of more voice actor, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, I mean, it's a slight difference. He's not the standout either way. Yeah. Um, You gotta give it to Don Franks as Mock. Yeah. What did we he's see also him do- in... Oh, he's Dr. Claw and Boba Fett. Yeah, there was something really recently where we saw him. Ooh. Um, and I commented Gosh. on him. Oh, oh, is he, um, uh, Wolfhead in Mad Oh, Wolf Breath? Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, yeah. what he is, yeah. Oh, man, oh, more Nelvonic. You know what else he, what else he is as a reminder? He's Cree Summer's father. Right! Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, um, she's not in this movie, but she would have been a very small child, a little baby. Oh, right, she was a child for, uh, Inspector Gadget, so, yeah. 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 Um... Susan Roman is Angel, mm-hmm. and I think people best know her, or most belovedly know her, as Sailor Jupiter in the Deke and Cloverwig dub of Sailor Moon. Mm. Chris Wiggins is Toad, and No Heart in uh, the Care Bear series. Yeah, he went up in the world. Yeah, speaking of going up in the world, I, I, one of the wikis I looked at really graciously had the, uh, maybe the credits do too, actually, had the animators for each character oh yeah uh, yeah yeah robin budd was mox animator and he went on to be an animation director he did a he directed a ton of beetlejuice episodes <laughs> and and hotel transylvania the tv series huh yeah yeah and then the rest of them i was pretty gratified to see that they went on like a lot of disney uh, for for them uh it's worth looking up i think if you if you have a yen for uh I find it kind of hard when I'm looking at this guy's like, oh, he did uh, uh, storyboards on Lilo and Stitch. Cool, you know, and yeah. a lot of them have very recent credits. So they went on yeah. to do stuff. And and the animation in this is good. Like it's, you know, the oh, movie yes. has problems, but the animation isn't really one of them. In another world where this was a success, like I have nothing against Care Bears and Babar and so on. Mm. But just imagine another world where we got more features like this. <laughs> Where Canada got a reputation as being that country that puts out uh, all these cartoons with demons in them. You can tell, right? When you watch Care Bears and stuff that it's like, oh, how can we work a demon into this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, uh, that's rock and rule for anyone who's been wondering what I've been talking about for the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, No mistake. But hey, let's talk about next week. Um, you had a All mistake. Yeah, you had an idea. You, you, you texted me the idea. What about cartoons that get it wrong? Yeah. And I thought that's, that sounds like a challenge. Right. It could be anything like it could be gets the science wrong, the history. It could be inaccurate to itself or its own source material. Maybe it's just like, maybe it's just a moral, you know, like <laughs> Mussolini was right. Yeah. You know, or something. <laughs> Family guy. Um, well, there you go. Yeah. So 
And then I, I started thinking like, man, I got to have to go down a list and see if there's something that jumps out at me. And then late at night, laying in bed, something popped into my head and I was like, oh my gosh, the the cartoon that gets something wrong that's been driving me nuts for years and I finally get to talk about it. Yes. Back at the you barnyard. Back in the barnyard. Okay, I already know what's wrong about this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I saw the trailer for the movie, Barnyard, I believe it's called, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Um, yeah. I want you to watch episode 21. It's called Top... It's it's half episodes. Top Cow and School of Otis. Okay. Yeah. Back in the barnyard. Okay. Back um, at the barnyard. Back at the barnyard. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Matsy, for you, I have an episode of Silver Hawks. What could possibly um, be wrong with that? <laughs> this one is called The Milk Run. <laughs> oh, okay. We got a theme. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> it's amazing how these things work out sometimes. <laughs> cool. All right, yeah. milk run. Okay, well, this might have been our scariest episode ever. Um, you mentioned last week, do I not remember how Rock and Roll ends? I remembered generally, but I didn't remember the specifics of exactly how demonic it was. So this was a good Halloween. Yeah. This was a good Halloween episode. Yeah. Uh, but next week, Halloween will yeah, be d- over. Watch that. Watch that, if nothing else, stalkers. Watch that demon sequence. Yeah, rock, so cool. Rock and rule is findable online if you know where to look. You know, just do mm. some searches; you'll find it. It might even just be on YouTube at this point. Um, but anyway, oh, yeah. in the meantime, tell us what's wrong with us, and tell us how much you love uh, mm. rock and rule. Oh, and what kind of bad movies do you just love anyway? Uh, I am at AC Matsy on Twitter. That's a good place to talk to me. Yeah, and I am at Drab Swatch. Now to finish things off, let's play a classic Halloween game. Oh, Matsy. Close your eyes, and then I'm going to give you some stuff to feel. Oh, I, I, <laughs> oh man, I'm blind on this audio-only media. Okay. First up, here's a bowl of brains. Ew, it's cold and squishy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a computer Next. stapled to it. <laughs> Next, put your hand into this bowl. Of grape-smelling eyeballs. Yuck. Do witches smell like grapes normally? This is a... Ah. Uh. Ew. Lastly, touch this. What could it be? Hmm. Feels like sound of some kind. What is this, Micah? Spookiest of all, it's the Celery Stalker's slogan. She can sing or she can scream. (laughs) But she still pissed me off.